You, ha you have to learn what makes your restaurant special, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, you have a pretty, we have a quite a strong identity already, I'd say, about the restaurant and what we're doing. It's just uh, trying to strike, when you have so many different ideas on what you want or could do or the way you'd like to take it, it's like trying to find the one that's actually going to work the best, not just in financial bio, you know, viability, but in terms of the whole picture as well. Yeah. You, sort of, you have to, it's such a hard, sometimes really hard. And you know, for us, we've done all of this on our own backs as well. So like, you know, it's, we haven't got anyone there that's really guiding us and saying, well, do you know what, you know, yes, it's a big outlay now, but let's, you know, trust yourself. You're investing you've in the future, aren't you? And stuff. Whereas for us, like, you've got a massive amount of money in. That could be it done if it didn't work. Yeah, we wouldn't have anything to back it up or to help. Yeah, us if, or, if, all, know, if for some reason it, it flops, work. then. Yeah, exactly. It was just like opening here. You, this was this was a risk for us. So we didn't know if we could run a second place. We didn't know if we could afford it. <laughs> we sort of had an idea, but yeah, yeah. we didn't know if it would work or not. And so yeah, you put some measures in place. You've got like we've got runners, separate companies, just so that it didn't drag the other one down. And if it went, <laughs> that sort of yeah. thing. But you just um, yeah, that's a hard thing for us. I think is is knowing. So you you'd met Josh and you were living abroad. Well, I used to work as a nurse, so I trained as a nurse, worked in A and E for years in Bristol, around Bristol, um, and and then went to France, went to Val skiing for a season, as a sort of sabbatical slash got a bit fed up with the scene that I was in and just needed to take a, take a break away. Did a season, lived opposite Josh. He was out there. For a whole year, never met him, never bumped into him at all. Went for the second season, and we met like within the first week or so through mutual friends. Saw each other a bit, and then he broke his leg. I was working as a nurse out there as well, so he broke his leg, and we got sort of got together after that. Very bit cliche. So he was working like private chalets out there, and I was a nurse nursing in the medical practice. Um, sort of like a English. It was, a bit, it was a pretty crazy time, actually. Probably still hands down my favourite job, <laughs> even though I've got this hands down my favourite job. I just had so much freedom being over there. I could do, you know, doing x-rays and things that you'd just never, ever be able to do over here as a nurse as well. And, you know, sort of treating healthy people that just had injuries, which is, you know, you yeah, like right, exactly. Nice so they're not like going to die, no, but they've no, got a easy. broken leg. Yeah, we had a couple of sick people, really sick people, and they did need and stuff, but they, you know, it's quite exact because there's no hospitals nearby, so you have to arrange a helicopter for them to come and, and <laughs> So you sort of like call an ambulance and call a helicopter. All oh, right, okay, great. And then you get to like ride in the helicopter <laughs> yeah, with them, like, oh, this is fun. Know, right. This is glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we met out there, um, and then we came back to the UK for the summer um, in between seasons, and then we went back out to Switzerland um, and. Um, when did another season in a private chalet. I, I worked as front of house, and Josh always told me he was the best cook in the Alps, and I never really believed him. <laughs> at that point, and he's like, okay, I was like, oh, yeah, it's quite tasty, actually. This yeah, he's actually good. quite good. <laughs> it's not just bullshit in yeah. this guy. <laughs> yeah, I know he's got a gift of the gap, but you know, you can't actually do it. Boy can cook. <laughs> this guy's for me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I know where my heart lies. <laughs> but then um, he said before, you're quite a good cook. Enjoyed cooking. Um, I find cooking at home a bit more stressful now. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like you're just giving it to your, your boyfriend. You're giving it to your boyfriend or fiance in your case, which is who is a chef and yeah. is and 
he also like he doesn't like it he won't eat it yeah so he said that <laughs> if you make something and it's not good enough he will just put it to one side and not eat and then he just will go hungry for the evening <laughs> which <laughs> there's a little, for me there's a line i'm like i like really good food but at some point there is a point where you are eating to sustain yourself you are hungry that day just get on with it so has there ever been a time where there's like a tesco lasagna in the fridge or something like that or is it a, t- a Tesco. Like lasagna. Oh, or like, yeah, like all the time. Just like something basic in the fridge. Yeah, that's fine. All oh, right, okay. That's okay. All oh, right, okay. I'm just imagining that you're having to cook everything from scratch. and. He prefers it cooked from scratch, but yeah, we don't have time. Reality is we don't have time. Right, to okay, no, that's fine then. Because that I probably would. There's definitely that side. There's definitely more kebabs and fast food than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> <in that. laughs> On Josh's behalf, especially. Um, but we, yeah, we do like, we like, we like quite simple food at home, like really rustic, lots of salads and you, then we have a barbecue that we, we probably have a barbecue, not a traditional sense of barbecue, but we'll cook something over fire and with a salad that we do that once or twice a week. That has got to be a thing though, because again, number one, like you are running this business, so that takes up a lot of your time and then a lot of Josh's time is cooking. And as much as you love it, then it's got. There's got to be. Oh, it's like a busman's holiday, isn't it? He's he's cooking amazing food that has masses of technique behind it all day long. The last thing he wants to do when he gets home is do that again. And actually, when you're cooking that style of food, I don't know if you've ever done it, but you've cooked a full meal and you've put masses of effort into it, and then you get it and you're not actually hungry anymore. Right. Like you've put like you've so much. Yeah. And you know you've been tasting it all the way through. It's not a surprise. You're not really looking forward to it because you already know what it tastes like and you just sort of lose your appetite. And I think that's, it's like that for him. He'd much rather like have, we love hosting like parties at home. So we do like um, dinner party sort of thing on a Sunday and we'll, um, we'll he loves it, putting it on, um, yeah, so it's something on the barbie and, and, and treating it a bit like, yeah, the green, is green egg or whatever. You're putting over fire, basically cooking over fire as opposed to a traditional sort of sausages and burgers sort of style thing. And then having friends around to, to enjoy it. That's like, that's our, that's what we like to do on a Sunday. Yeah, that's we do it. Doesn't stop outside of the restaurant then, you're always hosting people. Yeah, but we, the thing is that we went for the first couple of years, we didn't really see, we didn't socialise that much. We were so knackered and, you know, we were working all the time and we just sort of said, like, we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to, like, properly commit, this is it, this is our life, this is what we do. And then we realised that was it obviously the only thing that we did in our lives we didn't have anything else and we were like right there needs to be more of a balance here we need to have some fun as well and you know, that's where coming into seeing friends more and actually like making time to see friends and, and giving them a, you know, what we, we have a group of friends in York and we rotate around the houses so actually <laughs> we do a party and then the next time we'll go to theirs and the first year through it's about sort of six of us or so and then we go around so they come around and they're sort of chefs and in the industry as well so they're not afraid of cooking. Yeah, they can cook and they're not worried about it. You know, a lot of food. Like, Pretty ideal situation to find yeah, yourself in, isn't it, really? I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the thing is that you tend to find people in the industry as um, friends because they have, like, similar... They work in similar hours, hours and similar interests. It, so they appreciate the fact that, you know, and, like, how many regular people can go out drinking on a Sunday night? Right, yeah, because you're all going to be off on Monday. Yeah, so we're off on a Monday, so we don't mind. Sunday's our, our Saturday night of the week, and yeah, or, or Friday's Saturday night of the week. 
So we, yeah, that's our party night for us. But you know, most people who have what we call a regular job, so you know, normal Monday to normal Friday, Monday yeah, to Friday hours, um, don't because they've got to, you know, they've obviously understandably got to be up early on a Monday morning. Whereas um, you know, people in the industry have similar timescales to us, so you end up inevitably socialising with people. I'm Paul Newbegin, and welcome to the Pass Podcast. We're coming to the end of the first series, so I just wanted to say a few thank yous to the people that, without them, we wouldn't really be able to do a past podcast. There would be no past podcast series one. And even more exciting, we are coming back for series two. But I'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. So first of all, our wonderful series one sponsors, Great British Chefs. They've been absolutely amazing to work with. So friendly, so kind, and... The thing is, is what you've got to realise, when you're starting these things out and when you're building them, it's so rare to have somebody who'll sponsor you and get behind you from nothing. And they really did. They completely bought into the concept. They completely got behind us. And and they just made it work, especially with Josh on Great British Menu this year. They got so excited about that. And I think that's something that we'll definitely explore going forwards between the guys and myself to have something maybe while the great british menus on that we can have some of the contestants i've obviously been talking to some people that have been involved with it to be a part of series two so watch this space but thank you for great british chefs and listen guys if you haven't subscribed to their website already just go on greatbritishchefs.com subscribe to their mailing list and at the end of the day the worst that can happen is it makes me look good and it makes you look good because you look like a lovely person and i'll give you a big kiss when i see you person i wanted to thank was adam now he's somebody that a lot of you won't know but he's from a company called bespoken podcasting and he's been editing and mastering my podcast for me now i work full time i work nine to five at the moment and quite frankly i just i don't have any background in editing i've got no background in mastering i've never really worked even garage band before and adam has been absolutely incredible so if you're somebody who's interested in maybe making a podcast yourself or you need sound advice audio advice i would definitely 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 recommend adam and the other person is my good friend craig from ambient light now actually his day job is photographer and filmographer and it's something that we're talking about maybe getting some video or photo content to the past so first and foremost keep your eyes out for that but secondly he's actually been also available for me to help out the pre- editing the pre-recording advising me on what microphones to get what sound quality how to set this up that up the other thing he's just an absolute technical wizard so craig i have to thank you so 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 much and of course the guests every single guest went into this blind not really knowing what to do i've got a little simple document that i send them that describes the podcast so obviously we're going to talk about these five dishes we're going to ask you about you uh, and, and each one have taken it completely in their stride. They've been amazing. So I just wanted to thank Andrew Pern. wanted to thank Josh, James Alcock, Sean Rest, and uh, my guest, Matt Hunter, who was on the final traditional episode of Series 1, shall I say. 
So welcome to this episode of The Pass. This is a bit of a special episode which I've been calling The Pass Clear Down. So essentially we're going to do a bit of a clear down of Series 1. We're going to reflect back on the favourite dishes that our chefs have picked. And I've wrangled in a very, very special guest. It's Vicky Roberts from Cochon Avagul in York. I'm just getting there with that pronunciation, right? Nearly, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna... Le Cochon Avergue. Is that good? Blind, good. Okay, that, that's better. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. So I've kind of known you for quite a while, actually. Maybe slightly even longer than I've known Josh, because you're kind of the first port of call, really, in, in your restaurant. When I got to know you, were answering all the emails, doing all the front of house, so, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. There was two of you when I first came in. Probably, yeah. Yeah, we initially opened with just me and Josh, and pretty soon after, Pavel joined the team. It's um, been with us three and a half years now so yeah yeah so it would have been just the two of us yeah there. and then you've kind of gone on and you're really now exploring your passion for wine yeah something that I didn't really realize I had actually um something that I started learning about when I was at the Black Swan um with James sort of looking after me there in, in terms of the front of house aspect and they also had a great wine list there and so, you know I remember being <laughs> having zero knowledge about wine at all, going into an interview there, and they say, so what would you pair with um, with the other dish or something in the in the interview? And I'd like literally been scanning their wine list. Just <laughs> one wine, one red wine was in my head. I was just so I just said that. They're like, oh, good. Like this. <laughs> good. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> no, but um, so I learned a bit there, and um, I learned a lot about the service of wine brought that over to Koshan when we opened it. And when we opened, we had a really um, basic wine list. You know, we sort of, I don't know, about 15 wines or something. Like, really, it's really small wine list. We didn't do wine pairing. We were just sort of like, we'll do what we can manage. We didn't have much space to put it in. You know, literally fridge space or wine rack space. We just had to roll with that. And then when we opened upstairs, we expanded upstairs. We gave ourselves a lot more storage. and development of the wine program a bit and it became quite clear that some a lot of the guests coming in knew an awful lot more about wine than I did and uh, when you were being asked to recommend things you, as well as as much as you know your list you in the individual wines I wanted to also have a bit more knowledge behind that so yeah so I've uh, been uh, put myself through some wine exams since yeah so what I've asked you to do and what we're going to do in this episode is a slightly different format each of the chefs throughout the series have given me a menu and then picked their favorite dish from their menu and you're going to give us some wine pairings mm. and we're going to kind of create a bit of a finalized menu of series one but what I wondered is maybe for the layman if you could uh, you know what are the first steps in kind of pairing a wine so when you're looking at what Food and wine have a real close relationship with one another, and each one can really affect how the other one eats or drinks. So you want to be looking for some ways of of why what you're looking the wine for the wine to do. So one of my rules of thumb that I tend to follow is if you've got food from a certain region or a certain country or a certain style, choose a wine that mirrors that. So if you're doing pasta ragu, this sort of stuff, go for an Italian wine. The terroir, the country, the style of the wine, they just marry well with each other. The food that Josh has done comes from French roots, we have French wines that go with it. And we've actually 
limited ourselves to just French at the restaurant, um, so we just do that, which gives us a great opportunity to explore you know, lesser known regions of France as well that we wouldn't be able to do on a, on a general wider wine list. So Terra is the, is the sort of the name for that, so it refers to the land or the style. If you've got um, a food of that sign, you go for a wine of that from that area as well. When you're looking at the style of the dish, you look at how heavy or creamy or rich or acidic um, the food might be. And then looking with the wine, you either want to cut through that richness or you want to embrace it and, and do something that's full body to go with it as well. So if you've got a really, well, go through it, a really creamy dish, are you looking for something that's a bit sharper that's going to sort of balance it or are you going to look for something that's a bit richer and full, full of body sort of style white wine usually so you're going to sort of that richness and you've got a heavy red dish you know meaty dish you're going to go for something that's red a bit more full bodied and it's going to stand up to it because you, you there's nothing worse than having a wine that just sort of doesn't taste of anything and sometimes that's just simply due to the style of wine it is so so the first pairing is one that you must know really well mm. <laughs> because it's Josh's dish. <laughs> yeah. Is there a little bit of extra pressure on this wine pairing? A little bit, but do you know, it's, it's actually quite a hard one. I was going to say that, that's a, it's a difficult one, this one. Well, yeah, I mean, the dish is up with the egg. So, yeah. um, so this is a poached egg with a citrus cream on it. Um, egg is like notoriously difficult to pair with because what it does when you eat it is it like coats your mouth and, and then that... Um, makes it really hard for you to sort of taste any other wine to go with it. Yeah, pure cream on itself. I hadn't quite thought it through when I had them think about their <laughs> dishes because this was a difficult one for you. But, you know, it, it's okay. I think as long as we, we get a rough sense of what might be nice. Yeah, absolutely. So with that one, there's no one wine that would be excellent with it. So I decided that I'd just go for champagne. Champagne's a great one. I thought that was a good, yeah, that so was going to be my one in my head. We serve it as the start of the meal. It's nice to have a glass of fizz when you start. Um, it sets the palate up. And also you've got the sparkling element of it also will help clear your, your palate a little bit. So you get a bit more freshness and cut through that richness. Cream and, and sparkling wine. So you could, I mean, to be honest, pretty much any sparkling wine would go nicely with it. I looked at a couple options on our list with some Paul Roger as our sparkling wine, as our as our champagne that we have for it. So because it's quite a rich dish, I would go with the vintage champagne, so it's got a bit more weight behind it. Um, if you've got something a bit special, it is one of those things, you have a nice yeah. glass of it to begin with. I'm looking across the table because I've actually got one here yeah. right now. I, I, was gonna, I was actually going to ask <laughs> you, so what, what's your tipple? What, what, what do you like in wine? What do I like in wine? Mm. I like something that's got a bit of body to it. Um, it's got nothing that's too light. I have to say, I'm not, I'm not that fussy. <laughs> that <laughs> <drink> <laughs> I used to like not like white wine that much until I started like really finding nice white wines. And now, a lot of the time, I would take a white wine over a red wine if it's made well. So that's me too. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people. I think a lot of people are guilty of going with the same white wines and not here, you know, the sort of Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand that are very standardised and I like to branch away from those ones that are really sort of quite commercial and go with something that's quite different wherever it's from. So regions that we're, I'm massively keen on are things like the Jura region in France, the Savoir as well, I love a good Burgundy, those sort of styles, they're actually quite similar 
guess they're quite similar in style, Chardonnay sort of base mm. grapes. But I like it where the oak, if it's got oak in it, is well integrated. I'm not one that's big on vanilla spices or sweetness or coconut notes, you know, sort of flavours through. I like it to be well balanced. Chardonnay is something I'm really enjoying at the minute, actually. I think it's one of those things that it gets a bit of a bad kind of reputation, but it's really having a resurgence now, isn't it? Anything but Chardonnay, they say. Yeah, yeah, it's something I'm really enjoying at the minute, I have to say. Well, I mean, it happened a few years ago where New World sort of created, New World Wines created this really bad rep for it where they put masses of oak into a wine, which sort of became a bit of a trend. And then all you can taste is New Oak in this wine. So America and Australia, the biggest culprits really of that. And they would just throw, and, it, and cheaper ones, they don't even put them in barrels, they just put oak chips into the actual wine itself and it doesn't marry well, it doesn't oxygenate, it doesn't blend into it or the, a, help age the wine in any way. They just sort of throw it in for a bit of flavour and see yeah, that's how you get cheaper wine because it is a cheap right. oak, oak barrels are the most expensive part of the way. Right, the yeah. Process. Same with like whiskey. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's, it takes a huge amount of effort and the wood itself is expensive but then you've got to all the processes for it and the you know, it's time consuming. These you know, wines that are in oak barrels are there for months or years, you know, and whilst the wine's in the barrel, you're not making any money on it until you know, I suppose from a winemaking perspective it's, uh, it's you have to play the long game with it. Is it are these the sort of things then that you need to learn when you're doing your sommelier exams and is it is this Yeah, yeah. Is this what you're so, having to recite back or Yeah, a little bit. I did my WCT level three last year. I uh, did my introductory course of the Court of Master's Sommeliers and I'm working towards my certified at the moment. You have to have a, a, a basic knowledge of where wine comes from, right. how it's made. And it's um, that you have to turn up with your own tools, don't you? Your own yeah, cork so, and all that. That's something I read. Is, is that a thing? Yeah, well, yeah, I think, um, to be honest, I normally have about four or five corkscrews on me at any one time. <laughs> In fact, last year we had to go and... Um, give evidence in a, in a trial and um, someone damaged the property, damaged the restaurant, and we, we went and did it. And, you know, of course, you go into a courtroom, didn't even think twice. I wasn't actually even going up there without supporting some staff members and um, went in and like, I set all the alarms. And, like, <laughs> Have you got any weapons on you? Have you got any weapons? They pulled out about five cold screws. And, like, <laughs> and I was just like... A couple oh. of empty bottles. <laughs> a couple of tinnies. Like... Some white lightning. <laughs> Excuse me, madam. <laughs> Would you please leave? <laughs> you need to explain why you put all these knives on me. <laughs> God, you must, yeah. they must have thought you were real. Are you sure you didn't damage your own restaurant? Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. No. <laughs> Thankfully, luckily, some of them are really expensive. Like, they are. They're more expensive than some of my bottles of wine. Yeah. Like, I watched the song series once, and like, you know you're a song when the corkscrew costs more than your wine does. So, yeah, <laughs> thankfully they gave it back to me. So what, what made you decide to want to do that? Because uh, if people don't know this, you know, I obviously out in a lot of restaurants, you, you can go to Michelin stars and they don't actually necessarily, ha they, they'll have a, a wine waiter or call themselves a sommelier, but they won't necessarily be, you know, certified as you are. So mm. that's quite a big deal and that's really cool. Yeah, so I don't really call 
call myself a sommelier in the official sense. I don't wear, you know, I don't wear like a huge badge that says sommelier. And I don't. No, no. Um, I actually actively encourage every member of our team to like learn about the wines mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be the only person that can speak at the table. The only one that's that's qualified to speak mm-hmm. at the table, if you like. Um, I'm doing it for my personal gain, and I. So about the time when I was sort of realising that, you know, perhaps I needed to up my game on, on knowing about the wines and I wanted to increase the wine list, but I didn't really know that much. We went for a wine tasting with a new wine supplier of ours and the guy, Lionel, he just knew so much about the wines. And they were just French wines as well. And we were in Bristol and he, we had about, I don't know, about 30 wines or something. And I like, I literally could have bought every single one. He knew so much about it, sold on everything. And I was just like, I want to be able to talk be about like this, yeah. And then the song series came out and I watched it and I was like, that's so fucking cool. I want to be able to do that. You know, I want to try that. Um, and, and actually then it was sort of Josh that really um, was just like, well, you're more than capable. Why don't you just do it? And so, couple of Christmases ago, I just sort of went onto the website of the Court of Masters. I haven't done any wine training. No, no. No courses, no other. So, like, you, like you say, just knew a little bit about yeah, it. I knew but... a bit about it from watching the song series, really. And I was just sort of applied, applied to them. They don't run that many courses. Um, so you went over to Northcote, didn't you? I went to Northcote, yeah, so I did it at Northcote. They, um, I think they do about three courses a year between in the whole of Europe, um, and there's about twenty people in each course. So it's, it's, it's really quite yeah. You know, uh, it, yeah, again. Yeah. So I wrote to them and just said like, I want to do this. I have a restaurant, and you know, I'm pushing myself and want to learn. And they wrote back saying, Yeah, great. It's, you know, it's, this See you there. It's, it's a phenomenal amount of money, and um, you sign up. I'll send your book over to you, and that was literally it. And you're just expected to revise and... Yeah, so at that point, so then I was just like, right, speaking to a couple of people, I was like, yeah, I'm doing my introductory, and they were like, right, have you done any other wine courses? I was like, no. They were like, you're bonkers. Like, do not go into your introductory without... <laughs> so, like, level course. one was sommelier, basically, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, you're so, crazy. So, yeah, yeah so to, to backtrack, so the Court of Master Sommeliers have four levels in it. So you have the introductory, certified, advanced, and master. I think master sommeliers is something like... 283 right and they well, these are the people that correct. will be at like three michelin star or best yeah, restaurants and yeah not even have to be but yeah yeah they're the ones where you tend to find them is what yeah, i'm saying and, and there aren't that many in the world so no and, and that's since it started and these yeah they are but, encyclopedic but even the entry level is bloody difficult yeah so it's way more than I, well, I didn't really realise that, which I think is a bonus. Um, <laughs> you might not have done it otherwise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I sort of turned up a bit nervous, and then I walked in, and you know, there were sort of three MSs there, and I sort of sat in the front, front row because I'm a bit of a geek, and, and, and I like to do it, and I was just like, pay attention, and I'll you know, work, put my head down. It's a three day course with an exam at the end of it of, on the third day. And like the opening sort of preamble, they're like, so this is just a revision for you. And like a couple of like lectures in, I was just like, holy shit, I've never even heard of this. This is like <laughs> revision. This is like learning for the first time. And they're like scribbling. Like everyone else, there's, there's 20 people in the room, they've all introduced themselves. They work for some of the best restaurants in the whole of Europe, like from, and, and you know, across the Middle East, you know, Dubai and stuff. And you know, these sort of people that work in this phenomenal wine list. Yeah. Like, and here oh, you are in your. Yeah. Tiny little restaurant. Yeah, a restaurant in York. <laughs> I was just like, just in the corner and ignore me. 
if um, you know you sit there in your exam and they asked you to pair for this second one, which is Andrew Pern's dish, I believe. Yeah. I've put on second, which was his pan-fried foie gras with mm. scallops and scrumpy reduction. What are you thinking then? Then you know this is your sommelier exam. What are you pairing with that? Well, do you know I actually had a question about foie gras on the exam. Okay, which go on is then. Wine. So the classic one is the turn filling wine. So that is from Bordeaux. Uh, it's a sweet wine. It's uh, got grapes, such as botrytis, which is a sort of fungus, um, which is a good fungus. You need it, and it helps, um, helps with the sort of process of, of making the wine. And that's a sort of real classic pairing. Um, so you could go down that. If you're having, it's a, it's a really sweet wine. So if you're having foie gras on its own, it's a beautiful pairing. If you're having something else, you might want to sort of think a little bit else, maybe not going quite so sweet, so a bit more acidity through it. You could look at something a bit more aromatic, like uh, Gewürztraminer or a Riesling. Look at the Alsace or Germany for them um, in that sort of style. Um, if it's Gewürztraminer, I would go with like a, what's called a Bondage Tardy, so a late harvest of them. Which, the longer the grapes are growing, the sweeter that they become. So when you look at grapes, though, how they age or how they grow, they, as they ripen, they get more sugars in them and they lose acidity as well. So the sugars, the acidity sort of balance, that balance changes. So when they're harvested, that's what they're looking for is the balance between acidity and sugars um, in, in a wine. And it's a crazy sort of thing that winemakers know at that, what point. You know, they do have some technical, they do test it and stuff, but a lot of them go on that. You know, they just have that gut instinct of when a wine's right. So a Vondage Tardive or a Gewürztraminer has been allowed to ripen a little bit longer than um, than your average wines, so they are a bit sweeter. But it's not quite in the same strength as in that in sweetness style as the terms. It's got a bit more dryness there. So you've got lovely floral, aromatic, always like lychee flavours through mm. it as well. I like it, yeah, good words yeah. from me. They're nice. I, I tried Riesling um, for the first time a little while ago and again become one of my favourite wines because it's Riesling's almost like, like sort of sparkling quality in some Rieslings you get. Younger style wine that has maybe um, they've got a petillance in, in France or Presente, you can call it as well. They, if they're younger sort of style wines, have got maybe carried over a bit more fermentation into the bottle, so you get a little bit of carbon dioxide still. Yeah, it's that sort of crisp, isn't it? Yeah, really nice. Sometimes when you're tasting a wine um, and it's got residual sugar, that can come across. You can feel it tingling on your tongue a little bit as well. Um, so that can sort of give that same feeling. Or sometimes, it, sometimes you pick up on the acidity of a wine in that way as well. It might not necessarily actually be a sparkling wine, it's just how it feels. Yeah, it's that, almost that like character rather yeah, than it's got yeah. actually been carbonised. Well, and this, yeah, sort of champagne is, is there is a, se- a deliberate second fermentation in the bottle, and that's what gives the sparkling side to it, which is what was discovered by accident. If I like say something by the way and I'm just making no sense, you should just shoot me down because <laughs> I'm just saying like my thoughts on wine and I'm I'm like no expert. You definitely you're the expert in this, but it's just how it how it seems to yeah, me. Yeah, the thing is like for me, like the, the main thing with wine is that you are drinking wine for pleasure. Mm-hmm. So if you go too far, sometimes you go too far down the gate. So, so like when I finished my exams last year, I, like, I could barely even look at wine. I just studied it so much. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. So this, yeah, I was tasting wines, 40-odd wines a week, blind tasting. I was um, talking left, right and centre. I was studying it. And, and it's literally taken me a year to open a new book. And I've started 
signed up to my certified like two weeks ago or something, and I've just opened my book and I've gone, oh yeah, that's really interesting again. Whereas that year, last summer I was just like, saw this. <laughs> I'm like, I've got my results, I passed, thank you very much, and that's it, you, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> Before we pair the third dish, it, it mm. comes from the, the black swan, which you mentioned is somewhere you worked. So that was that when you'd come straight back and that was you going into the world of cookery again and all what service for yourself? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So we've been in Costas in, in Switzerland, done a season, which was tough for a lot of different reasons. So it was working for private chalet, actually, members of the royal family who I managed to upset greatly. And the only so you ever been like nearly fired up, but so you'd been a nurse season one, and then second when second you came back, seasons, you're gonna, yeah. you're actually looking after the shallow then with Josh. Yeah, or? so we did three seasons. First season didn't know Josh at all. Second, but he was out in Valdezere, mm -hmm. so we both done that season. Um, second season we went back to Valdezere, met each other, came back to the UK for the summer, and then went back out. But oh, okay, year, right. We ran a private chalet. Wow, okay. And then, so then to come back and go into the Black Swan, so, is that a little bit of a baptism of fire? Yeah, or? A little bit. So we came back and we were like full of all, you know, big guns blazing, we're going to open this restaurant. So we came back to York and suddenly like looked at things and we looked at really, yeah, we had a bit of money behind us, but not like yeah. nowhere. Not enough. restaurant. Not restaurant opening money at all. We had enough basically not to be able to work for a month whilst we sorted it out. Right. So we were, like uh -huh. really not nothing on that sort of scale at all. And um, so we came back and we sort of went, Holy, you know, this is not going to happen. There's no properties, there's no way. And how, you know, we went to a couple of banks, they, looked, they just laughed us out, the, you know, out the shop, and we just sort of went, right, okay, we're going to have to get jobs. So Josh went to the Brown Swine at that mm -hmm. point, and he's always worked at sort of one, two, three star places. He's got you know, crazy experience in that level, and I've never done anything about admissions. So I went to the Brown Swine store and saw they were advertising and applied for a job there. And, got it and, there. and I imagine again at that time it probably wasn't what it is now in terms of being recognisable and Tommy's obviously so record. Oh right, um, okay. Oh right, um, okay. Um, but it was at the point where Adam, who had been their head chef, um, and was leaving, and Tommy was taking over. So right, it was okay. Tommy's first summer that I was there. So for them, it was, you know, that sort of, that was quite a big trip. Really formative stage, yeah. Yeah, and so I was there as front of house. It wasn't, they weren't quite doing the garden, um, they weren't doing the garden uh, or their own sort of farming as they are now. Um, and it's a little bit different. We had an a la carte menu there, there was, as well as a tasting, but, you know, we did sort of Sunday lunch. And so wow, it was right, okay. quite different to what they are now. They've obviously, you know, they found the direction they're going in, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, I think it's all the better for it. You know, it's, and mm -hmm. what they're doing is amazing. Not that I'm still dead proud of them, and I'm pleased with you know, for them. And we go up as much as we can. And, really and you get to go back pretty soon, don't you, as well, as a part of this great British menu. Yeah, how exciting! Collaboration. Is that? James, I'm coming back to work for you. <laughs> is he dreading it? <laughs> He's like, for God's sake! <laughs> oh, she was always in here dropping the plates. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did fall down the stairs. Oh, I can. I, I said that to me. There's no way. There's no way I could be a waiter in that place because I'd just be falling yeah, down so the stairs. To, so the stairs. We used to actually when we, when I was there, they used to serve full dinner downstairs. I don't think if I'm right, I don't think they do it anymore. I think they do sort of welcome drinks mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and yeah. snacks down there. Mm -hmm. Everyone comes upstairs. We used to do sort of full service downstairs. Bloody and hell! I was taking some 
Amuse bouche downstairs, um, I think it was a suit. <laughs> and it just. Yeah, and for about like the last third of the steps, I just no idea what happened. I was on my face, flat in front of the fire. I just like went through and managed to throw the suit as well in front of me. Oh no! Yeah, talk about embarrassing. James was standing at the bar as I was doing it. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> but yeah. And then you decided, oh, that worked really well. So I'm going to open up my own restaurant. <laughs> Um, well, and then one of the things you guys have done recently is adding an upstairs to your restaurant. <laughs> so yeah. really, are you not? Will you look like nervous? Yeah, the stairs are a lot worse. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're really thin. Yeah, and I mean, they're on an actual like proper angle. Well, there's so everything in bloody York. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's not a straight wall in the building. Um, no, well, even this well, place, it's like so much character. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, in a night. I, I oh, in an amazing way, it, amazing like, way. When you get new builds, they just—they all look the same. Oh, that's a, that's what makes York like. It's just a, one of the most special places for that. You couldn't want for anything better for me, anyway. No, I totally agree. I think it adds to it. it just means you have to work a bit harder sometimes. <laughs> so it's the it's um, Sean's dish, which is the mm. beetroot. That's kind of become their signature dish. I don't know if they were starting that. Uh, probably not. Um, no, I, I have got a slightly advantage that I have actually eaten it. Fantastic. So it's got the smoked codger and they make little, uh, I think, little linseed crisps, mm. little crackers. It kind of tastes like a steak, so I wondered if maybe you'd gone about it thinking like it was a piece of meat or where, yeah, you, so where you started in. Um, so there's the crackadine beetroot, which I think is like, crackadine means toad, I think, in, in French, mm -hmm. um, which refers to the, the actual look of the beetroot. And then they cook it in beef fats for hours and hours and hours um, really slowly and so you've got beetroot it's got a really earthy flavour to it and then you've got a meat element to it as well so you have got that richness there which is lightened up with the cod's root that's just there to sort of cut through and then you've got a bit of texture from the linseed as well so this one is for me definitely hands down a red wine mm -hmm. like that's the flavours the white wine just wouldn't stand up to it it would just kill the white wine I think so I think the best thing with that one is you've got earthiness, you want a wine that's going to have some earthiness too, but beetroot has got some sweeter elements to it, so something that's got a bit of fruit through it still. So I wouldn't go with something too aged. As a wine ages, it tends to lose some of the fruit elements of it, the fruitier parts, and take on what are known as the sort of secondary tertiary flavours where you get sort of gamier mushroomy earth you do get the earthy notes through it as well but you lose some of the fruit and that changes that sort of a process or you, or it goes from fresh fruit to sort of more dried fruits or sort of flavours. So I'd pick something that's got a little bit of age on it but nothing not sort of twenty or thirty years that sort of um, age. Cabernet Sauvignon would be a great one. Probably you could go Bordeaux, maybe a bit more traditional with the French or or something more new worlds maybe South African sort of style mm -hmm. as well. Or you could look at something, I've got a wine that I've tasted recently that I thought would go really well, which is called Cordon Rouge Gorge, um, and it's from the Catalans in, in South France, and it's Carignan, that's great for it. It's got this amazing earthy richness, it's full-bodied, it's got great tannins through it, it's got a bit of structure to the wine, so it's, um, so it's got a lot of complexity and lots of things going on. And it would just stand up to that, but it's still—it's not super aged. It's about about 2008 or 2009 the vintage I've, I've tried. So it's got sort of nine, ten years on it, ish, eight, nine years on it. 
So it's starting to age, but it's still got the lovely fruit there as well. I'm going to imagine actually the next two that we're going to pair will have reds with them because they're both beef dishes. I suppose, again, being having that French inspiration behind Josh's cooking, that must be absolute paradise. And, you know, French red wine is probably the best red wine, right? Everything comes back to what starts with France with the wine. When you're learning about it, if you learn about France, you apply some of those rules to the rest of the world. There are, of course, other wines and other grapes that you don't get in France, but a lot of them are the same that transfer. What makes it France as a country so perfect for red wine? Is it the climate? Is it the land that you were talking about? Is it a combination? A bit of both. And, and a history. And the oldest, or one of the oldest countries to have regulations with their wines. So you have a lot of rules and regions in France. Um, we call them the a AOCs, the Appalachian origin controller, um, where you have to follow certain rules of what grapes you're allowed to produce in each area, mm -hmm. how you're allowed to produce it, what percentage alcohol it is, or what percentage of that grape it is, um, and sometimes even like the methods to how you make it as mm -hmm. well. And France has got their older system really for that in place, and so a lot of countries, a lot of Europe now has that after France. So France has always had a much more regulated system, which means that they have tradition with it as mm -hmm. well. Bordeaux is probably the Burgundy and Bordeaux to opposing regions, <laughs> really. There are others that I actually sometimes prefer other wines from around different regions. But, but they're the, the famous reds, famous aren't they? Yeah. So your Pinot Noirs from Burgundy, your Cab Sauce and Merlots from from. Um, so the, these two, I'm going to do them together because I think they're the ones that people will, it's most accessible for people and hopefully if, if people can take anything away is how to pair some red wine with Matt's dish which is his Lancashire hot pot yeah. and uh, James's dish which is uh, just a Sunday lunch and um, again that, I've taken it to be beef but it could, I suppose you could be having it with chicken but we're, we'll take it beef because I think we're going to talk about a red wine. So we'll start with the hot pot, what mm. we're going to pair with that. So hot pot, um, I grew up in the south, so it's not. Yeah, I know, the same, right? Much really. Um, so <laughs> I found that one a bit more tricky because I've not really had. And, we're in, and then we're in Yorkshire as well, so yeah, Lancashire like hot pot absolutely. is just treason. As far as, as far as I'm concerned, that's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think it's hot pot beef usually. Yeah. Is it beef? I've taken it as beef. Maybe we could we could be really upsetting some people now in Lancashire. No, oh God. Let's say beef. Let's it's going to be a beef hot pot. Sorry everybody. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get in trouble now. I'm going to get... Well, I mean, I would lean towards... I mean, it's, a hot pot's got a bit of spice to it sometimes as well. So you could, could go down the Bordeaux route with that um, something that's sort of a bit of age. Um, obviously some of these things are dependent on budget. Bordeaux and Burgundy tend to carry a price tag with them mm. because of where they're from. There is something I've read, maybe you can tell me, like there is like this sort of sweet spot of wine pricing, isn't there, that you should, people should be aiming for? It, 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 explain that a little bit more. I don't know, I, I, well maybe I've made this up, but I read something that there was like this sort of like, once you're getting over a certain price, it's very much that's high end and probably for people like yourselves to enjoy, but you kind of want to be going 20s, 30 pound for a bottle of, you know, good wine. Yeah, so I guess um, 20, 30 pound in, in terms of Shop price or in terms of restaurant price? Maybe shop price, yeah, shop price. maybe shop price. For me, the most interesting wines are usually in the middle of the wine list, so that would sort of fit with that. I 
don't tend to go down and spend hundreds of pounds unless it's a very, very specific, it's a very special occasion. And I, there's a wine that I've just been searching yeah. forever. That yeah, I yeah. Um, we were talking about that earlier, weren't we? Yeah, yeah the... so when I was at Noble Rock, yeah. they yeah. had a Didier Dagno, and I was just like, right, oh, yeah. you can try that. It's like, it's like again, we said about earlier, like yeah. rare whiskies, isn't it? People sometimes, because yeah. it's like a really special... And, I, and I've been, that's been on my radar for years and you I suddenly saw it and I was just like ah oh, I want to try that and you know, now I have yeah that's good nice. so you wouldn't be bringing that if Josh is making a Sunday lunch but what would you be bringing so um you could look at Bordeaux so uh, Cabernet Sauvignon um the thing with Cabernet Sauvignon is that it likes to be aged um so with that comes um a price tag unfortunately because the wine is takes Cabernet Sauvignon as a grape doesn't ripen very easily. So when you get it, if you get it from a slightly cooler vintage, you're going to have a great bit of acidity and, and tannins in it. And it's, it's going to maybe take a few years for that wine to really, it's going to be quite tense when you first have it. And it might take a few years for it to relax and grow into itself and become a really delicious wine. So you can look at Merlot, which are a bit softer, fruitier flavours through as well. Or you could um, venture over to somewhere like um, the Rhone Valley, and go for a sort of like a syrup, mm. um, and, or, which is the northern Rhone mm. um, part, or you could go down at the sort of around the Croce Hermitage, maybe mm -hmm. around that, or you could go down to Chateau Neuf de Pape. Yeah, that's something that people be very familiar with. Yeah, or Cote so de Rhone is, is something I really enjoy. Yeah, one, two, just over the border from Cote de Rhone, amazing wines, mm. and they have a nice like, fruitiness to them, a bit of spice behind it as well, so they carry that. They've got a bit of weight as well, so they're, they're not super light wines. You know, a lot of people find lighter wines a bit harder to drink because they lack a bit you know, a bit of oomph there with the wine. And I think that's, um, you get that. I, I, Syrah is one of my favorite grapes, actually, mm -hmm. and, which is, of course, known as Shiraz in, in Australia and, and other New World parts as well. The ones from France, the Syrahs tend to be a little bit more refined perhaps they don't carry quite you know the australian shiraz is a robust and big wines and that's because you've got a hot 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 country that they're growing in so the fruit ripens very quickly and they use a lot of oak in it as well so mm -hmm. they stereotype <laughs> um but that's that sort of you know your barossa valleys that you know they, they do carry that that sort of that stamp the ones from france have perhaps a bit more elegance behind them um because it's slightly cooler climate and a slightly different attitude perhaps in, in right. how you're making it the winemakers are making it but still the same so it's got a, a lovely body um so what body you're referring to the weight of the wine i suppose how it fills in your mouth how big mm -hmm. it is how deep the color is how, how rich it is not always alcohol and, and this is actually this is interesting this is something that i've picked up on recently is that people look at alcohol on a basis of how good the wine is it's something I've not really ever considered before. We've had a couple of guests do it recently and said, oh, it's too high alcohol, I won't like it. Which, for me, is a bit of a misunderstanding because alcohol can be high, but well integrated into it. So you can still have a wine that's 14.5%, but you might not taste the alcohol in it because the wine is so well balanced with all the other parts of it. But if you have a wine that's sort of 13%, you all you might only taste the alcohol. You might just get a burn right, in your mouth and, right. because there's nothing else. Because it hasn't been blended or... Yeah, so it's, it's not... I wouldn't say... So basically when you look at, a, let's say, the red wine, for example, you have 
several different parts of the wine to consider. This is something when you have to taste a wine, when you do your wine exams, you have to break it down to be able to judge the, the levels of each one of them. So you're looking at things called tannins. I was just about to say that, yeah, tannins. Tannins. Um, and that's like a furriness almost in your mouth, isn't it? It's like yeah, that yeah. furriness on the palate. That's how it was described to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you get a red wine and it makes you sort of like grit, it's like yeah, it's like, it gets on your teeth, yeah. and it gets on your lips or your gums, and you're just like, ooh. It's that lingering. Yeah, it, it's... Um, like almost like a dryness as well so yeah sort of that which is quite really exclusive to red wine isn't it it's not mm, don't get an orange wine right yeah. and that's something i've had at your place as yeah. well yeah so the so tannins are in the skin of grapes and the pips as well but the skins predominantly and as is pigment um as well so the color of, of the grapes so the whole range of colors that you get over there oh yeah that's what you were saying about earlier yeah your wine so you, color chart that's it so you can so the grapes are i mean there's a whole variety of colours and, and typically the darker the red wine the darker the grape was to it's, it's, I mean it's been said to me that I mean obviously you get these you've kind of alluded to earlier you get chefs I am Josh and, and these guys that are getting stars and, and learning about food but actually there's probably way more to learn about wine than there is about learning about food I don't think there's way more I think it's just one of those same subjects as well that you scratch the surface and the more you throw yourself into it the more you can okay maybe that's fairer but yeah. to me it seems like there's so much you have to think about in you know mm. everything you've gone through today in pairing those wines there's, there's so much in it's it the thing is that when we pair a, a dish with wine I look at my list, sometimes there's nothing suitable, so we look elsewhere as well. Sometimes right. if we're doing wine pairing, we bring in the wine just for, just for that one. For that yeah, one right. Dish. In fact, we had a dish on recently that we found the wine, and Josh made a dish to go with it because he wanted oh, that's the cool. wine. Yeah, it. that's nice. Totally backwards, but it worked. Yeah, really well. that's cool. And, um, and so when we, like, we're in, in the restaurant, for example, we do the wine. Um, so we get a new dish on, we try it as a whole team. So whenever Sir Josh will make up a couple of portions of it, we'll try it all together. Part of the dish development, but also for everyone in the team. It's so hard to describe something that you've never tasted before. Mm -hmm. And you know, people want to know why you've paired something with it. Mm -hmm. you, you, like, Josh's dishes tend to be very well balanced between the sweetness and acidity in them. Um, uh, so you know, they are designed with all the elements to be eaten together usually they're not you know, some people try like it's nice to try each individual element but then the dishes are designed to be eaten with every part mm -hmm. as a mouthful and um, which is often the case and, and that's you know, so when you see people eating you're sort of trying to yeah like, yeah come on try all try the wine and then, and then, yeah. then you'll see why we've put it there right yeah you're not just going to try the really acidic thing that's really yeah. difficult to eat on its own you want to try it with the fatty rich bit as well see how it yeah well, you understand so so we try it all together and then um i will look at the sort of main components of the dish and any wild card flavors as well <laughs> which there are sometimes yeah totally off course so you might go this is like a classic as classic pairing and then the, but there's one flavor that's just going to be like fucking hard to pair <laughs> with and i'll just look at josh and what are you doing can you not just me? take that off you're yeah like, you're just making my life so freaking hard right now but yeah, that's where you have to get a bit creative. So we tend to bring three wines down, label them A to C, and I'll, I'll Oh, like a blind, like a blind oh design. nice. So nobody's got any preconceived. The blind idea. element yeah. of yeah. Le Cochon. Yeah, we, we throw it in there all God. the time. <laughs> you are clever. Um, and then we try A, B and C, and we sort of take a vote. Um, 
on it. Josh and I usually have the final say, I have to right. say, but, but it's nice important. for everyone to yeah. Yeah. try it. And actually, Josh has got a crazy good palate, as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. And so he's often very good with the wine pack, you know, sort of yeah. how well they work together. Mm -hmm. And I come at it from a, a slightly different view as well, because I'm looking at the whole wine list, a whole wine pairing, perhaps I won't go, I've got every wine from one, it's so boring. Right, yeah. I uh -huh. want to spread the regions out. I want to spread the grape varieties out. I need to, from a commercial point of view, business point of view, I need to spread the cost out. I need to, you know, so you're looking at all I'm those looking different at it things, from a yeah. whole different perspective. You're spinning plates. Yeah, exactly. So Josh is like, that wine's amazing. And I'm going, can't afford it. Right. <laughs> We're going to have to find an right. alternative. Yeah, What's similar? Yeah, yeah. similar. Uh -huh. Then you look at the profile. So it's the same with the three wines. I put two that are pretty safe pairings mm -hmm. and then a bit of a wild card in. As well. Could out of the five that you've picked today to, to wrap us up, you pick which one you like the best, or which or which pairing you you like the best, or? Yeah, um, it's really hard. I think the beetroot and red wine would be that that sort of dish that that would be a crazy good one. I mean, the champagne and the egg early on, I think like you would just it would just be so pleasing in yeah. every way. Uh -huh. But as an actual strict pairing, I think the the beetroot and reds. Yeah, the, the Claude Rouge Gorge I would go with, or, or perhaps a, you know, a, a Cab Sauvage sort of style. The actual pairing would be the strongest, or most correct pairing, if you like. I think that so, would work with that. So I have to say, obviously, um, when, I, when I thought about this idea in my head, I kind of just thought you might go, yeah, I'd do a white one with this, white one with that. The amount, the amount of thought you've put into it, I, I have to thank you so Pleasure. much. No, it's it's been fantastic. <laughs> These um, are good restaurants you're going to. No, it's, to it's been amazing. You've put in so much thought. As I led into it, you know, I've, I've known you guys for ages, and, and I don't just say it because I'm in front of you or because I'm in front of a microphone, but you, your restaurant is so special to me, so, so special, because I remember... I remember walking past it and you had the brass hanging from the ceiling and then like you guys took over and you and I've just watched you make it your own and it's just been amazing. It's just been amazing to see you guys grow and I can't wait to eat there back again. That's like for me going back to a fine dining restaurant like once is like quite a lot because we love food. We want to try and try and try. And I think I've come to us like four times now. So that says bucket that, that says right, more than i could a, that's you know compliment. yeah like that is the people, yeah, yeah the biggest compliment i could without, give without a, without a doubt when you get returning customers that's as much as you could ever ask for really in a restaurant because you, know, you know that they've enjoyed it last time and they're going to come back exactly and, and you know we keep pushing with you josh's you know uh, the amount he's developed in the last couple of years and together as a team but you know individually but everything own, everything you know every every time you come back something has changed or something has grown and, and i and i love that about you guys yeah yeah i know what you mean but, but yeah, so so you should and yeah. listen guys if you've heard about these guys or you've watched josh on great british menu you know you have great reviews coming out in papers and blogs all the time all i can say is if you're listening to the past and you want to know a restaurant that's really really special to me as as like the host this is the one so, so you've been a fantastic guest thank you so much and, and this is actually the last episode that we're going to record for series one wow. we're in uh, your little wine bar down the road and we're going to go and get pissed on some of your wine yeah, i think please. to celebrate let's Definitely. do it thank you so much vicky <laughs> thank you series two bonus news that's right as i promised before this episode i was going to give you a little bit of insight into series two so we're going to be coming back 
and we're coming back bigger, bolder and better than ever. And this time, I venture outside of Yorkshire for the very first time. So, just to give you a little something to go on, my first guest for the past podcast series two will be none other than Stephen Smith from the Freemasons at Whizzle. Now, I'm so, so, so excited that I'm going to be coming back with Steve. He's such a great guy and he offers a really great episode. And for the first time, we have a live food tasting on the pass. So tune in for that in September. The best way to do that is to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, please do it. It helps more people find me and it helps get the word out. And likewise, if I can really ask you a massive favour, just give us a little review. Even if you just put, this is nice, then it really helps cut through the fat on iTunes. Oh God, no pun intended there. I'm very sorry. But it does. It helps me stand out. (laughs) So I'm laughing at my own joke. (laughs) That's really bad. Oh God, you can see the fun I have. (laughs) But seriously, if you can, just leave a simple review and it will help me stand out. I really thank everybody for their support. I thank you for listening to Series 1. I hope you enjoy the last few episodes that we've got. And we'll be back in September with Stephen Smith. And we've got some incredible, incredible guests lined up. Um, And actually, the first Leeds guest, and I've just banged on about going outside of Yorkshire, but I live in Leeds and I haven't actually had a Leeds guest yet. So we've got the first couple of guests from Leeds. We're going to go up north, even further up north. And I'm hoping we might even venture into the big smoke. So, yeah, if you know, and, and the other thing as well, sorry, I'll let you go now. If you're listening to this and you're in the catering industry and you'd like to take part, just email me, Paul at the Past Podcast. Follow me at Paul Noob on Twitter if you're not already and get in touch because I'm always looking for guests. And as you've seen from this series, you don't just have to be a head chef. You don't just have to own your own restaurant. You can be at whatever stage, you know, I'm interested to hear from absolutely everybody. So anyway, thank you and thank you to everybody that's been involved in making the past podcast such a fantastic journey. I love you lots. Bye bye.